Well, I do greet you this morning in the name of the Christ child and wish you a Merry Christmas. It has been an amazing time of worship throughout the Advent and Christmas season. I hope you were able to join us yesterday for our Christmas Eve services as well, if not in person, for those who are online. Our worship team does an amazing job, and I'm so thankful to serve with a gifted staff, and you get to see us, for the most part, up front every Sunday. But there are several groups I wanted to recognize this morning at the risk of always leaving somebody out. The first is our creative services team. They're the ones who create the bulletins that you see on Sunday mornings and special occasions. They also communicate all this going on in the life of our church and do an amazing job. Secondly, there's our production team. You seldom if ever see them. In fact, the only time you notice them is if something goes wrong. But they sit in the back. We also have people downstairs in the studio. They stream the service, and they help us to proclaim God's word. And then the third group is our building and grounds team. They're here before we arrive. They leave after we're gone, and they do an amazing job of preparing this space for worship. As I look out over the congregation, I know some of you have had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land. And as an aside, if you never have, in March of 24, I'm leading a group. I'd be glad for you to go. But one of the sites that pilgrims typically visit is the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It is the traditional site of Jesus' birth. In 327 A.D., about three centuries plus after Jesus' birth, Emperor Constantine of Rome converted to the Christian faith, and he declared Christianity the official religion of the Holy Roman Empire. His mother Helena was a devout Christian, and she visited the Holy Land, and under her direction began the construction of a number of different basilicas or churches on identified sacred sites. And one of them was the Church of the Nativity, Despite the carol we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem is not so little anymore. The 25,000 inhabitants host 2 million tourists annually. And when you go into Bethlehem, there are images of stars and shepherds and angels that adorn every building you see. And when you approach Manger Square, you discover that commerce and business reign. There are merchants and there are vendors on the street that try to sell you everything imaginable. One of the most popular items is manger scenes. And you'll go into stores and there are just shells filled with forests of olive wood carved into the various figures surrounding Jesus' birth. When you approach the Church of the Nativity, it has an unusual architectural feature. The main entrance is about three to four feet high. Back in the Middle Ages, the priest overseeing the site lowered the entrance because tourists kept riding their horses, camels, and donkeys into the basilica. Now that historical trivia just tickles my admittedly bizarre sense of humor. But there is also something appropriate in having to bend low, to bow down, to enter into the basilica. 
Once you go inside, the Church of the Nativity is an interesting mixture of grand and gaudy, of touching and of tacky. There are these huge, hand-blown, crimson glass balls that hang from the ceiling. There are fixtures for lights that look like they were installed when electricity first came into the region, but they have modern LED bulbs screwed into them. Heavy incense perfumes the air. And you would think this would kind of be a holy site where pilgrims were reverent and silent. Instead, at times, it feels like standing at the turnstiles of the magical kingdom just before they open at Disney World. Everybody's crowding in, wanting to get to the site where Jesus was born. Most of our traditional images of the manger scene may be historically inaccurate of a barn set out in the countryside with animals all about, more likely, Jesus was born in a cave. Caves are prevalent in that area, and they were oftentimes used as stables and barns. And so once you get into the Church of the Nativity, there's a stairwell to the far right, and the pilgrims funnel into it and slowly make their way down the stairs. And in the grotto below, there is a small chapel area overseen by the priest who will scold you if you tarry too long, and there's a 14-point silver star that marks the site where traditionally the manger was thought to rest. I've had the opportunity to visit the Church of the Nativity several times, and I always left with mixed feelings. It's almost a, a visual oxymoron that the humble sight of the Son of God becoming human has been overlaid with so much glitz and glitter. When I do have the opportunity to visit Bethlehem, I prefer another site south of town, which is known as the Shepherd's Fields. There's a much simpler chapel located in a beautiful garden. And when you stand on the edge of the site, you can look up towards Bethlehem, and in the fields that rise to the town, you see shepherds tending their flocks just as they have for millennia in that area. And me, for me personally, I feel much closer to God in celebrating the incarnation in that place rather than in a grand basilica. As I look back over the past four weeks, I know all of us have been busy We've gone from one place to another to another, and you have chosen, out of all the things you could have done this morning, to come to worship on Christmas Day and to celebrate the birth of our Savior. What I invite us to do is to hear the story yet again, as if for the first time all over again. Good news great joy for all people. For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And let us hear it as it is spoken to us from God's Word.
A reading from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here now a reading from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. A reading from Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greeting, You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and you will be called, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One will be, bo be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The Christmas story continues in the gospel according to Matthew in the first chapter. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Continuing in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should take place in the entire of the Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he also belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Matthew's account continues in the second chapter on the coming of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. A reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christian pop singer Amy Grant released the Christmas collection in 2008. And it has a song that has become a favorite of mine during the season entitled, I Need a Silent Night. Listen to the chorus and see if you resonate with the words, I need a silent night, a holy night, to hear an angel voice through the chaos and the noise. I need a midnight clear, a little peace right here, to end this crazy day with a silent night. It has been a hectic, hurried, chaotic season. I know it's been in your life as well as in the life of the church. Since last Sunday, Northside has hosted 11 worship services, including six Christmas Eve services. And hearing the words, I need a silent night, certainly echo in the chambers of my own heart and mind and soul. But my guess is they do in yours as well. Part of what I wanted to do this morning is just to create some sacred space where we could hear the story as if for the first time all over again. Let us join together in prayer. Almighty God, we gather on this holy day to kneel at the manger and worship the Christ child. Enable our time together to shape our souls and guide our lives both this day and throughout the year. We join our hearts with the prophets looking forward into the future with hope, with the angels declaring the good news with the assurance, don't be afraid. With Mary, we are your obedient servants. Let your will be done in our lives. With Joseph, often confused and bewildered, but faithful to your call. With the shepherds, we glorify you even as we return to our normal routines at home, school, and jobs. And with the wise men, as we lay before you the gift of our lives, it's in the name of the babe of Bethlehem we live, worship, and pray. Amen. 